0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, May the
1: twenty eighth, twenty
0: seventeen. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. Here, you can check out the show all the time on MetsMarsOnline Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. The show is on SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. Like I say all the time, if you believe me, you and I do so help. Nope. And uh, away we go here on this Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody enjoyed what little good weather we've had. Not great. It's not supposed to be great tomorrow, and who knows if there'll be a ball game, because after tonight's ESPN game, the Mets will be returning home to New York. So we'll keep an eye on the weather, and it may not be a very great Memorial Day for baseball. Uh, I'm recording this show leading up to the Mets-Pirates ESPN Sunday night game, so if you're listening to this... Uh, We're about, oh, I'd say 30 or 40 minutes away from the ball game. Uh, Earlier today, I had an opportunity to talk to Dan Gross of uh, Mad Dog Radio, Sirius XM. You've also probably heard Dan on ESPN, uh, SNY, Loudmouths. Uh, Dan, uh, been following him for a while. He does great work over at Sirius. He's starting to expand a little bit into the New York market. And uh, he's what I call one of those uh, radio utility guys. One of those media utility guys, a little bit of everything. And uh, he just got off the air earlier this morning at 11 o'clock. And uh, Dan and I spoke as he was still at the uh, uh, Sirius studios and talked a little baseball. So you'll hear that in just a few minutes. And we go around the league, get his thoughts on the Mets and and everything that's going on. So hope you enjoy that. And uh, Dan, a new guest, uh, a new voice. On the podcast, and that's what I try to do try to bring some new voices throughout this season. Uh, Obviously, bring back more of the mainstays and some of the popular voices, but every uh, so often, more often than not, I like to mix it up and get a different voice because I think that's what makes this unique and different and what makes it fun. Before I get deep into it, I wanted to, on Memorial Day, because obviously Memorial Day is about remembering the veterans and the important things that go on in. The world today, and obviously sports is the candy store of all that, but history is part of Memorial Day, looking back on history, learning from history, and sports, a lot of ways, is the same, and I want to read you some quotes here on this May twenty eighth, 2017, and see what you think of them. Here's, Here's the quotes, and I'll give you the names of who these quotes are from after I read them. I felt our ball club was underachieving. The time came to head in a new direction. I talked to the team about underachieving and having fire in the belly. I want this team to focus on winning because winning is what it's all about. That's one quote right here. The rules have been there. Here's another quote. The rules have been there. What Buddy's going to do is what the government would call a strict interpretation of the rules. I think he's really going to hold the curfew. There's going to be no more golf and no more playing cards. There'll be tightening of the reins on the field, off the field, everywhere. We had our differences. But we all respected him. I feel us not playing well, let him down. He gave us room to succeed, and we didn't do that. And then the final quote I have, it got to the point where something had to happen. I hate to say it, but things had gotten a little stale around here. Oh, there's one more. If you're not playing well, you can't take four or five guys and trade them. The manager has to go. Those quotes are from Frank Cashin, Ron Darling, Frank Viola, and Dwight Gooden. On, it was published in the New York Times by Jack Curry on May 30th, 1990. That was when Davey Johnson was fired. Davey Johnson was 20 and 22. And fear not, I am not going to make this podcast another – referendum on why Terry Collins should be fired. But this week, if there were was a week, and I've been having these kind of podcasts over the last year or so, more than once. And we had a, a pretty focused take on Terry a couple of weeks ago. Listening to that and seeing how Davey Johnson, who at that time was the longest and winningest manager, longest tenured and winningest manager in Mets history, a team that had just two years prior made the playoffs, won 100 games, and just four years prior had won the World Series in 108 games. And from 1984 to that point was one of the winningest teams in baseball and averaged 90-plus wins a year. To hear those quotes and then fast forward, and I'm not even going to fast forward to 2008 when Willie Randolph and Rick Peterson were dismissed one game under 500, two years, less than two years after getting to game seven of the NLCS and winning 97 games. Something, by the way, the 97 wins that this group of Mets has not done. The 100 wins this group of Mets has not done. The theme, though, with those two firings was that things were going bad, there was a cloud over the team, and it didn't seem to get any better. With Davey, I think 89 went really bad. And if you look back, maybe that wasn't all his fault. Hernandez and Carter got old. Uh, Gooden got injured. Jeffries came up and struggled after a nice run at the end of 88. They made the trade of Dykstra and McDowell to bring Somewell in. And the Mets finished second to the Cubs. And for the first time since that 84 season, won less than 90 games. And then in 2008, when Willie Randolph was fired in the middle of the night in uh, Anaheim, famously after, I guess, Willie a couple of days earlier on Father's Day had said, please, Omar, don't put me on that bus if you're going to fire me. Mets were playing poorly. They were still suffering from the stench of the 2007 collapse And after Omar said to Willie, yeah, you're good, you're fine, that happened. And Rick Peterson, who I think did an outstanding job and I think would have made a difference with that team in terms of sticking around and maybe things being a little bit different with the pitching staff and the bullpen, uh, was let go as well. So when you you go back in history on this Memorial Day weekend and you see those two scenarios, you say to yourself, well, at 20 and 27 – What's really different here with this Mets team? Well, the, the first big difference is, is that Fred Wilpon, even though he was in charge both times, I do not think had the, didn't maybe have the control or say in 1990 that he has today, certainly. And I'm not sure that Fred had the affinity, so it seems anyway for Willie Randolph, that for whatever reason he has for Terry Collins. And that is a bit perplexing. I'm sure you know Terry seems to be a nice guy, a good organizational guy, someone who spent his life dedicated to baseball. There's something to be said for that. There's, there's no reason for that to be a Teflon on his job security. But I digress because if the owner wants it, it's going to happen. And that appears to be the case because earlier this week, Mike Puma, in an article that I think illustrates a lot of what's going on, pointed out a number of things that have annoyed Sandy Alderson to date. Tommy Malone being told, you know, Terry told, being told Tommy Malone can't go three times around the order, he basically does the opposite. Mets lose that game to the Giants. Matt Harvey uh, being brought out into the sixth inning after wanting to feel good, playing Curtis Granderson over maybe a hotter hitter like T.J. Rivera. And then this is even before we could get into the gazelleman. Keeping, taking him out of the game early, some of the weird bullpen moves, including last night bringing, and I guess maybe because he ha- did not have Paul Seawold available, or so it appeared. That's why Neil Ramirez was brought into a one-run game, but it's it, it basically the front office is starting to say, hey, this guy doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. And the fact that it took till this year, May late May of 2017 to realize that it's scary because I could have told those guys back in 2011 that this was the case. I mean, everything I'm seeing right now, I've been saying since 2011, whether you've been listening to this podcast, listening to other times I've been on the radio, read NYBaseballDigest.com when I ran that thing, I've been saying this. So if you've been following me for a while, this is nothing new. But here's the thing. Forget Collins. Forget about why he should be here or not here. Because, you know, again, Mike Lupica of the Daily News keeps the same narrative alive in the Daily News earlier today by saying, well, you know, he doesn't deserve to be fired. Cespedes is heard, and pitching's been bored. You know, that excuse is old. There's plenty of horses here. As Sandy Alderson has said it himself, for the Mets to be better than 20 and 27, and I could point to moves on the field, strategic in-game moves, which I'm not going to get into because I've talked about it, and I don't want to, again, make this podcast about that because you've heard that already, that should have been made and could have easily put another three or four wins in the Mets' pocket and make them maybe a game over. Look, I don't think that with what's going on, I expect them to be 30-19 and like the Washington Nationals. I'm not saying that's the difference between the Mets and the Nats is Terry Collins, but it's certainly three, four, five games I could point to. That's certainly... Fair in saying the Mets could be better in that sense. What I think is following this team right now, similar to some of those quotes that I just shared with you from 1990, is that things have gotten stale here. The aura of 2015 and what was built that August and September into the playoffs, and then – the equity of what they built, which he wrote on, in which this group wrote on most of the summer where there was a malaise last year, and then turned it around with a favorable schedule late August into September, into the wild card game that they lost. That's gone. Like I don't, you know, 2015 is history. It was history last year. It's even more history this year. So anything that happened, despite the fact that there's still a number of individuals that were around then, still around now, but there's also a number of individuals that were not, well, you've know, you got to move forward, and something has to happen. That something means firing the manager, maybe firing the pitching coach, maybe, and this again is an anecdotal thing, and it's not solving the real issue, which is starting pitchers not going deep enough, maybe bringing somebody up. Like a Rosario, like a Dominic Smith, is it crazy to maybe say, hey, could we trade Lucas Duda for some bullpen help or for maybe another starter? I know that I'm not saying that that's easy to do on Memorial Day, but that's something I'd look at and say, okay, I have Dominic Smith hitting the tar out of the ball. What I could do is I could bring Dominic Smith up, who's an upgrade defensively. He could hit. You've got a right-handed complement in Flores. That could spell him if, if he struggles against lefties. You trade Duda for some arm, for some bullpen or, or starting pitching help, maybe, maybe a bullpen arm, and maybe that's a move you make because now you get the kid Rosario, uh, the kid Dominic Smith up, and then maybe at the same t- time you bring Rosario up and you turn Reyes kind of into a super sub, or maybe Cabrera becomes more of a of a backup. You don't have to play him every day. And you give the kid a chance, and you inject some life. Look, the 88 Mets, I keep going back to history. When Jeffries was brought up late August, they they were already pulling away from Pittsburgh, but he gave them that jolt over those last five, six weeks where they really blew the the doors out of the division. Pittsburgh was still hanging around a little bit. And at one point, I think they were a 500-team through half of that season. They'd gotten off to the good start, but the Pirates were hanging around, and a lot of that had to do with There seemed to be a malaise over that club. They need a spark. The 1990 Mets when Buddy Harrelson took over, even though Buddy wasn't a long-term solution, he gave them that spark. That that, That could work both ways because Buddy turned out not to be the right manager, just like Jerry Manuel turned out after he took over for Willie Randolph to not be the right manager. Look, if an interim manager comes in and does a good job, but he's not the person you want, it's okay not to give him a contract extension, even if they make the playoffs. There's no rule. It's like the Mets have this where ownership feels this obligation to these guys. There's none. But he was a little bit different because he was a, a coach on that team. He played for the 69 minutes. That was a totally different scenario. But with Jerry Manuel, you know, and I remember I supported it at that time. There probably was enough to look at there and say, hmm, maybe this guy's just you know for now interim. But he had managerial experience, he did well. He had those corny post-game press conferences, away you go. Two years later, he's gone, Terry's in. The rest is history, Terry's been here ever since. You make the argument that you, know, you look out in Colorado now with Bud Black, that if they had gotten rid of Terry Collins last year, maybe they could have someone like a Bud Black who's doing a great job. There's not a lot of those veteran managers out there. I understand that. But maybe it's time to start thinking about, well, who's the next guy? Is it Pedro Lopez? Down in AAA, Michael Mayer of, of Mets Marized Online and Mets Minors has said a lot of nice things about him. And I've talked to other people that have covered minor league baseball who have said some really good things about Pedro Lopez. They're a way to get this Ray searage right across the, 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 the dugout, this, you know the field today. It seems to do great things with Pirates pitchers. They're a way to pay to get him over here, get a pitching coach here. Not now, of course. I'm talking after the season. But I think that, the, that something has to get done, something big. Just to shake it up. And is that a formula? Is that logical? Not all the time. I'm not looking for this to be like the 70s, A's with Charlie Finley or the 80s Yankees with Steinbrenner. And believe me, I'm not about to dun the Mets because I look at the standings right now, even the wild card, and I look at the teams, I understand the Dodgers are starting to play really well and ensconce themselves in the wild card top, the lead of the wild card. And Colorado looks like they're for real, so I don't know if they're coming back to the pack. They're 20 games over. Excuse me, they're going to be 14 games over. Sorry. But then you look, Chicago and Milwaukee, I got to think that that starts to turn. I don't think Milwaukee's running away and going anywhere. Chicago does, Milwaukee's not. Chicago does not seem to be the same team this year. But anyway, I, I think that eventually Milwaukee will come back to the pack and Chicago will settle into the Central. St. Louis is not running away, going anywhere. Arizona, I, I know they're 10 games over. I don't think they're uh, going to sustain that and be uh, a 10, 15, 20 game over team that all of a sudden puts – right now the Mets are eight. The Mets are eight and a half games. Six games back at Arizona in the lost column. Seven games back at L.A., eight and a half games out of the wild card. Forget the division. I'm at the wild card. So you're at a critical point where this has to change. Things have to turn around. You wasted a week. The last five games should all have been won. The Mets have lost three of them, two to San Diego, and the one last night. And you don't want to blame Collins because Reed just didn't play well. He didn't pitch well. He blew the game. And, yeah, they left runners on early on in the ball game, but still the process, Neil Ramirez, what went on with the bullpen earlier this week, how he just doesn't seem to put the right pitcher in at the right time. It all is a dark cloud, and if you're not going to fire the manager, you got to do something to shake this up. Unless you just want to write it out, it is what it is. September comes, you bring up the kids, you start planning for next year, and look, Conforto, Rosario, Smith, those are three really good three, a 30-year lineup, homegrown, high-ceiling, premium position players that you can go into next year with. And that leads me to my final, final thought before we get to Dan Grasso. I'm going to say that John Harper has had some good pieces over the last few weeks. I I think John is a bit of a Yankee homer, John Harper of the Daily News. But, uh, and John Heyman over at FanRag brought this up as well this week. The idea that you cannot build your team on pitching, or can't build your team on pitching, and just focus on offense is false. I understand teams are looking at what's going on with the Mets and their pitchers. Nobody's talking about how are the Mets at the big league level, the pitching coach, how he's doing managing these guys. I never hear that. I'm waiting for someone to examine that because this guy's track record is horrendous across the board, not just with the Mets, back before he became pitching coach for the Mets. Just because he's been here for a while doesn't mean he's any good. You, you know, the Mets kind of stumbled their way into building around pitching because they already had DeGrom. They already had Harvey, uh, Mats. Those guys developed. They, Syndergaard was the second player in the R.A. Dickey trade. It was really Darno that was supposed to be the centerpiece. They kind of stumbled their way into being a pitching first team. But if you look at it, since they Sandy really has been running the, the show, You've had guys like Conforto and Smith and Rosario. The Mets have some offensive players that are coming up, and I don't see the next stud coming up right now. I mean, you've heard about Zespuki and Justin Dunn. They're, they're a little ways away. But the point that Harper makes is that makes the teams are looking at maybe building like the Astros and the Cubs, saying, hey, build it on elite offensive players. Find your pitching. And I've even said, like, the Mets of 1999 had a pretty good season with essentially Al Leiter and a bunch of number three starters, three-four, three, four, I would say, and almost made it to the World Series, came with a couple of games going to the World Series. That's during the steroid era. But if you remember what really got them over the hump to the next level, the following year was acquiring at that time a bona fide ace, which was Mike Hampton. And you can acquire those guys, but you're going to have to give something up for them or you're going to have to pay and sometimes you're going to have to pay in the form of a six- or seven-year contract. Look at the Yankees. When they came back and won the World Series in 2009, they did it by buying some pitching. A.J. Burnett, CC Sabathia. Yeah, they got to share it, too. But without Sabathia, without Burnett, they don't win the World Series. They basically had three starters, that team. They got lucky that the schedule worked out in a way where they could win and go through the playoffs with three starters. They didn't have a lot of pitching depth. They got lucky. They needed more. And when it didn't work out, when the pitching failed them, they didn't win in 10 and 11 and 12, and then it went south. So I don't see – now, maybe you could make the argument in the first round, in the first five, six, seven, eight picks, if you have the elite bat and the elite arm, you go with the bat, I have no problem with that. But to say that you cannot build on strong pitching because of what's going on with the Mets – Fails to acknowledge the fact that I don't think these pitchers have been managed all that well. I don't think – you don't have Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan here. What do you think? You've got two very run-of-the-mill, average-to-below-average manager and pitching coach here. And is that all that goes into having a strong staff? No. But to me, I'd love to see a strong – I'd love to see Buck Showalter with this team. I would have maybe liked to see Bud Black. I'd love to have seen Wally Backman, but now that he's not – he was fired from his Mexican League job, which we didn't even get into last week. Who the hell knows what's going on there? Maybe that's something I could – I've always been trying to get Wally back on the show. It's been a long time since I had Wally on the show, so maybe that's something I could work on. I don't know if he would do it, but we'll see. Uh, it's not like you have an elite team here leading these guys. So for me to buy into that, I'm not so sure. I still like how the Mets went about building their team. They have plenty of offense, and they acquired it too. Jay Bruce. It doesn't take a lot to get a Jay Bruce here. You know, with the way the National League – and I don't know the numbers as of today, but as about a week ago, the National League is outscoring the American League. You can find a bat. Jay Bruce came rather cheaply. So if you want to talk about – I mean, Jay Bruce, for Dilson Herrera, you weren't getting yourself a top-of-the-rotation pitcher for that kind of package. I mean, Cespedes cost them Michael Fulmer. That happened. Cespedes was an elite player. And they also had the Mets in a position where, you know, I'm sure they didn't want to give up Fulmer. But if they were going to get the player that they wanted, they had to, and they lost out. And they already had a trade fall through a few days earlier with Carlos Gomez. So sometimes, you know, it does cost you for the, the hitter, but... At the very least, it's going to cost you that plus for the elite pitcher, in my opinion. So I don't believe that you should just change your philosophy. Strong pitching, strong pitching, strong up the middle defense with good hitting is what makes a good team. You don't just have to have a bunch of bashers out there. This doesn't, you, know, you don't have to build a fantasy team. Because if it was that easy, the Seattle Mariners in the 90s would have won a championship, and they didn't. You basically are telling me you want to build the late 90s Seattle Mariners. With Randy Johnson and try to figure it out. Now they had a bad bullpen. They didn't figure it out. You need some hit arms. You need starting pitching. Anyway, let me get to the uh let me get to the break. Let me get to Dan Grassa. I talked to Dan earlier, just after he jumped off the air at Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio. We'll get into some of the things I just talked about about the Mets, Terry Collins, his job security, doing something, I guess. Out of the box to turn this thing around. We'll get into what the debate has been all over talk radio. Aaron Judge versus Michael Conforto. We'll also look around the league, get his feel about some of the surprises, disappointments. Does he feel that the uh, the wild card and the, and the division is gone from the Mets? Are we basically spinning our wheels and we're just watching baseball play out the string? On Memorial Day, starting on Memorial Day, you could make that argument if you're a pessimist that basically this is it, that this is the best as it's going to get. And uh, the Mets season is pretty much over. So we'll get into that and some other things with Dan Grasso, Sirius XM Radio, right after this.
2: Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
0: I said earlier, joining us, uh, you probably have heard him on uh, Mad Dog Radio, maybe on ESPN, uh, SNY, somewhere. Uh, Dan Grasse at Dan Grasse on Twitter. Uh, Dan, uh, happy Sunday, happy Memorial Day. Is it fair to say you're like the uh, radio version of Ben Zobrist? Uh, you know, this is a baseball show, so I had to use a baseball uh, analogy there.
3: Uh, ben Zobris, I think that's a pretty good place to start. As long as the checks keep coming in like Ben Zobris gets, I have no complaints about that. And I'll tell you, you actually got the organist up bright and early this morning to play in break. I like that. I like the accompaniment.
0: This, listen, this is a shoestring budget we find, of, just like the sabermetric guys, we find value everywhere uh, <laughs> we can. Now this is listen. This is a baseball show. You just literally just got off the air, so we're recording this a couple of minutes after your show on Mad Dog Radio. Are you tired talking yeah. NBA? Are you ready to talk some baseball, or uh, or you want to talk about LeBron being better than MJ and and the uh, Cavaliers? I, I-
3: I think we've exhausted every ounce of the LeBron conversation. I mean, you've got to give me a game here for crying out loud. We've been dealing with this, and it's not just for this upcoming final series. I mean, we've been talking about this almost for the last three rounds because they make quick work of their opponent, and then you have a week in between games. It just seems like it never ends. But to answer your question, yes, by all means, let's do some Mets. Let's do some baseball. I look forward to the opportunity for sure.
0: All right, Memorial Day is like that first and, and I don't know if statistically it matters anymore with two wild cards, but it's that first chance to really look under the hood and say, okay, what's going on here? Mike Lupica said this morning, you know what, things look bad for the Mets, but it's not time to make a drastic move and fire anybody. Uh, I, I cited in the opening some history. Davey Johnson got fired around this time of the year. Willie Randolph got fired a little bit after this time of the year. Now I understand sometimes the, the replacement isn't the answer, But sometimes those replacements, uh, even though they're not a long term solution, they save seasons because it makes a statement. Where does Dan Grasso fall on that uh, edge of the ledger?
3: Well, I mean, that's always the quick thing, right? To have that trigger finger because you want action, you want results, and especially when you're talking about a team like these Mets who, come on, I mean, we had high expectations. Everybody had high expectations for this team at the beginning of the year, and normally you would like to blame the manager and say it's his fault, but, you know, we were even talking about this the other day on, on SNY on Loudmouths, John Heine and myself, and, you know, you can say that it's Terry Collins, and we know that he's not a whiz when it comes to dealing with the bullpen. I mean, that's completely obvious he but his hands are tied a little bit only because the options that he has to run out there. You know, none of these guys are going to be confused with All-Stars or Hall of Famers anytime soon, so if you're going to point the finger at Terry, I think it's only fair that you also have to give a lion's share of the blame to the guy whose job it is to provide him with these players, and that's Sandy Alderson. I mean, now injuries are something you don't account for, but coming into this season, we kind of looked at the Mets' bullpen as being a little bit of a concern, especially when you consider... Familia started the year with the 15-game suspension. Reed would have to then become the closer. And, yeah, Reed had a good season last year in the setup role in the eighth inning, but we didn't know how he was going to fare, not only just holding down the closer spot, but was he going to be able to do what he did last year even in the setup role? So now he's had to become the closer with Familia gone. He struggled at that. He blew a game again last night. I mean, I don't know how many more games he could sit through with this pitching staff and have these games just get completely out of hand, and I think they're in a situation right now, when you look at this team, it's kind of like a situation of when it rains, it pours. It really does, because when one thing goes wrong, it seems like it just spirals. On games like the San Diego series this week, you know, on a night when they finally get a decent pitching performance, that's when the bats go cold, and vice versa. It just seems like they can't get out of their own way, coupled with the fact that last night we find out afterwards that Cespedes now has a sore quad, who knows? when we're going to see him again, but it's not a good omen that we're sitting here, as you said, on Memorial Day, and this team still can't find its way. It is a little concerning. As, as, as the man once said, it's getting late very early for this team.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Now, since Sandy Olson took over, and I understand your point, you've got to put some blame on him. He hasn't really been able to figure out the bullpen, uh, although they've had some interesting arms. I went back, and I know that this is history and, and it may not apply, but you look at some of those Cardinal mm-hmm. teams uh, that that won. You know, They had a really good pitching coach with Dave Duncan. Go back. Look at the 06 Cardinals, the 2011 Cardinals. There's not a great mm. name out of that bullpen. Sometimes with a bullpen, it's about utilization, and certainly they've been overused, and, and that's not all his fault. The starters haven't been good. Um, but sometimes you could make something out of some of these guys. Even if it's for a year, Mets never do that. So if I'm the general manager, I say, well, I give you different options You guys never make anything out of it. I mean is it down to the point where the only time they could be successful is if you have three closers uh, like the Yankees had uh, a year ago? I mean that's rare. I mean that's I guess if I was a management point of view, if I was going to debate you, give you the management point of view on that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'll say this. I I do think
3: that the bullpen success right now is almost tied to the starting rotation. I'll I'll give you that because, look, the starting rotation isn't whole. So they are playing with a depleted unit right now, and I think that if these – pitchers that are in the starting five right now, if they had the, the ability to go out there and pitch deeper into ball games, which they haven't done, I mean, let's be honest, you're getting no length from these starters. I mean, when you see a starting pitcher take the ball and even throw a pitch in the sixth inning, you're shocked. It's like, oh my god, he made it through five and, may, and now may might even go six or seven. So, the fact that these bullpen arms are having to do more, I mean, I don't have the list in front of me, but if you look at appearances in the National League just relievers, I mean, at one time in the top five, four out of the five names were Mets because these relievers are just asked to do so much because the starting rotation cannot give them length. Now, if you get Seth Lugo back, if you get Steven Matz back, now those are big ifs, don't get me wrong. That means that one or maybe two of the guys who are in your rotation now go to the bullpen. Maybe it lengthens out that unit a little bit more. I mean, I I know the Tyler Pill audition didn't go as favorably as you wanted to last night, but you have to hold out, hope that maybe he can provide some sort of stability in any way, shape, or form. Guys are being asked to do more than probably they're capable of doing, and I think it all begins with the lack of depth that the starting rotation has right now. I do believe that once they get a little bit more whole and pitch to their capabilities, you'll see the trickle-down effect in the pen.
0: Uh, Dan Grasso, SiriusXM, ESPN, SNY, you've probably seen them somewhere uh, joining me here. Well, that and that begs the next question and the next uh, you know, interesting conversation. John Hopper had wrote in the Daily News, uh, and he reiterated it today, uh, how teams are looking at what's going on with the Mets and saying, okay, does this mean that team building around pitching – is not the way to go. So Mets kind of lucked into the team building around pitching. Harvey, DeGrom, you know, Matt, they were here already. Um, you know, Syndergaard they acquired. You, that was not supposed to be the big piece in that trade for R.A. Dickey. Uh, do you go out? Do you draft? Do you acquire offense? Mets have plenty of offense right now. That's That was a, one of the concerns I had was that they wouldn't be able to score enough. Do you go out, do you acquire enough offense now and just build around number three starters, maybe then acquire an ace? I'm not sure I feel comfortable saying that because of this, Scenario that building around strong starting pitching is, is not the way to go?
3: Well, I, I mean, it's twofold. And, and that was actually something that, that, that I brought up, I would say, about a month ago when you started to see the struggles that this rotation was having and, you know, when Cindergaard went down. Look, Pitching wins, and ultimately in October you want to have pitching, and that's what's maybe going to get you over the hump. But it's a big if, and you have to still get there first. And in a perfect world, if you can have what the Mets at least laid out, having five young dynamic starters all under your control for several years to come, you would think that you're going to be in it, and you're going to be expected to do good things. But they haven't been able to stay healthy. And on the flip side, you look at a team like the Chicago Cubs, who – the jewels of their organization are all position players. They're young position players up and down the lineup, and they have, you know, a nice rotation. They paid a lot of money for Lester. You know, Arietta is going to be a free agent, but you know, it's not as dynamic a rotation as you would think for a World Championship club. The Houston Astros, the same thing. I mean, Dallas Keuchel is an ace, and he's pitching outstanding. Lance McCullough's a good arm, but the strength of that team is all the young, dynamic talent they have through the lineup. And even our buddies across town, there, the New York Yankees. I mean, they're starting rotation is anything to write home about, but all you hear about is Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge and, you know, the Glabar Torres in the minor leagues and the Clint Frazier's and the other young players they have. This day and age in baseball and the fact that nobody, I don't care who you are, Mike, right, nobody seems to have a hand on these injuries and why these pitchers seem to be going down more so than they ever did before, I think certainly you have to give serious consideration to
0: look more towards building in terms of bats as opposed to the arms. And you, listen, you're close with both these teams. You have Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario who are hitting very, I mean, I know it's Vegas, but you know when there's a good player in Vegas, they hit at another level. You, uh, you mentioned Torres with the Yankees and Scranton now. They have Gary Sanchez. They have Judge. You have an interesting New York dynamic here where, at the same time, young players, when you add Conforto into it and, 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 and compare all that, you have very young, you know, high upside, healthy, marketable position players that, at the same time, could maybe re-spark that robbery. I was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. How with, I think it was with Mike Vaccaro. You know the Subway Series hasn't been the same. So to your point, uh, there might be some fun here later on in the season with, you know, position player A versus position, position player B, and and obviously fill some radio time in the summer. That's for sure.
3: When was the last time, you talk about the and look, the Mets, I know that they only have two world championships and their history does not equate to what the Yankees have accomplished, but you look at the Mets, I mean, this is an organization which is, you know, the, the, their claim to fame, or at least their high watermarks, have been pitching, right? I mean, from Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, even Nolan Ryan, right? And he didn't last long with the Mets, but, you know, down to those teams in the 80s with the Goodens and, and on and on and on. And, you know, when was the last time they had a dynamic, homegrown Thank <laughs> you everyday player, right? I mean, like you see with a Michael Conforto right now. I know that David Wright was that guy, but, you know, unfortunately injuries took a toll on him, and you had Jose Reyes, but then you got to go back to the 80s to where, you know, Darryl Strawberry was that guy. And then they had high hopes for somebody like a Greg Jeffries, but he didn't stick around very long in New York and had his problems with, you know, a variety of things dealing with the media and the the clubhouse and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a Met fan, you're starving for that guy that you run in the lineup every single day that you can cheer for, that you can root for, as opposed to a pitcher that gets the ball once every five days, and then you've got to hope that he stays healthy and his arm doesn't fall off, whereas the Yankees, it seems like they have that in abundance right now, which is why it gets you excited about Rosario, about Dom Smith. And you say, all right, especially with some of these young shortstops around baseball, whether it's Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, and you know the Javi Baez's of the world in Chicago who plays a multitude of positions for for them, you start salivating a little bit as a Met fan because the pitching is not where it is. You don't know if and when these guys are ever going to be able to fulfill that promise. Give me the bats. Give me these guys that can hopefully can provide at least some day-in, day-out contribution for you.
0: It's, well, it, that's the other, and I know this is a little anecdotal and it has no logic to it, and, and that's probably not why the Mets and Sandy Alderson is a very logical guy won't do it is you bring up a Rosario, you bring up Dominic Smith. I know about the Super 2 and the money, and maybe that needs a couple more weeks to happen. But sometimes you bring up that young player, even though he's not going to pitch. You've got to turn the narrative around. There just seems to be a dark cloud right now hovering over this team for whatever reason. And I'm just trying to figure out, you know, these are all Hail Mary options. Which one of these mm-hmm. firing somebody, firing a pitching coach, bringing up a, a, a young player? I know this is silly, and this is against what the modern thinking is, but these are things Mm -hmm. that have happened in the past and have worked. I mean, look at the 99 Mets. They fired coaches, and maybe that's a coincidence, but it shook that team up, and, and they almost went to the World Series.
3: Right, the massacre at Yankee Stadium, right, where they fired, you know, Tom Robson and then along with the pitching coach and then Dave Wallace took over and uh, Mickey Brantley. You know, Steve Phillips went in there and started uh, wielding the hammer and got rid of a lot of Bobby's coaches. But, I, I mean, look, that's one way you can do it. You mentioned bringing a guy up to just maybe spark plug the clubhouse, spark plug the team. I mean, think about the impact and it's a different position. But, you know, when Buster Posey got called up, you know, back in 2010 with the San Francisco Giants and that team went and won a World Series, and he was one of the, you know the key components and we 've seen a lot of guys since then you know get called up from the minor leagues for respective clubs just just to provide a little bit of energy and a little bit of life and that 's why we keep talking about Rosario and dom Smith and, and I think look Rosario is the guy who 's ahead of Smith in the pecking order, and so if they are going to make a move, he is likely to be the guy and I still believe that at some point this summer, it might not be in the next two weeks, but I'm pretty confident that at some point over the next couple of months, we are going to see a Med Rosario up in Queens, and that could be either out of necessity because you have a position to fill due to injury, you just need to inject a little bit of lifeblood into the lineup. I would be stunned if he is not a New York Met by the time September gets here for sure.
0: Agreed 100%, Dan Grasso. Uh, with me at Dan Grasso, you've seen him on multiple outlets, uh, SNY, ESPN. Uh, just just recently, a couple of you know, about ten minutes ago, got off the air at Mad Dog Radio. All right, seven scouts said Conforto, seven scouts said Judge and a piece in the Daily News. We'll make Dan Grasso break that tie for fun here. Do you take Aaron Judge or Conforto if you're drafting for real baseball, not your fantasy team?
3: Michael Conforto, I, I, I would go with him, and, and a couple of reasons why. Number one, uh, this is a guy who already on the big stage is delivered and who, it was two years ago but the guy did hit two home runs in a World Series game you know that's not a fluke that's not an accident so the guy has proven already that he can get it done in big spots we haven't seen Aaron Judge there yet and I know that we like to make a big deal about what guys do in the playoffs and this and that but again that's something you can't take away from Conforto he has done it Aaron Judge has not done it yet Aaron Judge when he came up last year was a strikeout machine he struck out half as many times as he went up to the, to, to, into that batter's box which is a problem. Now, he's adjusted to that a little bit here, and he's gone through his rocky moments. It wasn't always smooth sailing, so he's proven that he could adjust from maybe a temporary slump or a temporary drought. Michael Conforto last year Okay, he was abysmal. He was miserable. After that April where he got off to that really good start, he ultimately got sent down to the minor leagues. So uh, he proved to you that in the offseason he worked hard, he made the adjustments, and now he's come back in 2017 like an all-star and a guy who looks like you know one day could win a batting title. That's how impressive it is. I haven't seen Aaron Judge sustain those droughts. For that long. So I don't know if he's going to be able to make the permanent adjustments yet. Both of these guys have proven that they're both maybe a little bit more adept defensively. Then maybe scouts gave him credit for me. And Aaron Judge, a guy who's six seven, you don't expect him to fly around out there in right field like he did already, making some catches like the one he made uh, the, just the other day, going back on the ball, which was amazing in the gap. And Conforto, we know that was his one glaring weakness. Scouts said his arm, and you know, defensively, and he's proven that he is very, very skilled in that department as well. Both look like they're going to have really good careers, but if you ask me to pick one, I'm going to go with the uh, the sweet swinging lefty out there in Queens.
0: 100% agree. I had nothing to do with him being a Met. I, I agree with everything you said on there. No, none questions? of that. Never. No, I tell you, <laughs> the adjustments you have to make. I remember talking to – actually, ironically, I remember talking to Mickey Brantley years after um, he had been a Mets coach, and, and he was in the minor league system, and we were talking about Reyes and Wright and Lasting's Millage, if you can remember. And he never felt oh Lasting's Millage – he never felt that Lasting's Millage was going to be able to make the adjustments after the pitchers figured him out, that Wright and Reyes had to do when they brought up were brought up. And I remember using that information and, and using that against people who love lasting millage. And look at what happened. The guy's right. It's the adjustment. You said it with Judge. Give me the slump. He had it last year. I understand he's made a great improvement, but they're going to figure him out. And he's going to go through a, a two-for-22 slump. The question is, how do you react to that and how do you adjust to that? And until you have a full season, maybe a season and a half, you're really not going to know. And, and that's a part where a, a lot of fans and a lot of pundits, they forget about that.
3: You forget about that. And the other thing, too, is if you just want to go by a small sample of 2017, remember – the Mets were dealing with all these injuries and at that time weren't really doing a lot offensively, and when, you are an op- when you're an opponent and you're looking at that Mets lineup, you know, Conforto was one of the guys that was actually producing, so why would you pitch to him? You know, you pitch around him and let one of these other guys, you know, who weren't swinging the bat too well, you know, go after a Curtis Granderson or something like that, whereas, you know, the Yankees were putting up a lot of offensive numbers and still are, and were swinging the bats well, so it wasn't just Aaron Judge, you had other guys in that lineup that possibly, you had to with so Conforto just stood out in a lot of you know guys that weren't exactly overwhelming when it came to production so far, which to me makes his start to this season even that much more impressive.
0: Uh, as we wrap up here, let's go around the league real quick. Uh, there's three teams I look at surprises in the National League: Colorado, Milwaukee, Arizona. I think Colorado has some sticktootiveness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'll use it. Uh, Sounds especially good. Especially when they play in that ballpark. The offense goes back to what we talked about with offense and what have you. The pitching seems to, seems to be a little bit better. The good news to me, if I'm the Mets, and I'm seven games under here, Memorial Day weekend, maybe less after the, the Pittsburgh game tonight, uh, I don't know if Arizona's going to be 11 games over or play at that level. Um, you know, obviously the Cubs haven't taken off yet. I think Milwaukee will fall back. The Cardinals, to me, are not going to take off. So, uh, you know, when it comes to a wild card, because I'm pretty much ready to say that division is gone. I think it'd be hard for them with how messed up they are to, to to you know, even with Washington's bullpen, make a run. I right. think they have a second wild card run in them at some point. But they really got to – they had about three weeks where they need to get to 500, and they got a tough road trip coming up. So this week hurt. This week hurt a lot. But I still think they're going to be in the mix. I think they're going to be in the mix I- in some capacity. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree, but
3: unfortunately you've got to get healthy first, right? I mean, because you're not going to win anything with this group that they're running out there every day now. So you have to wait for the next few weeks. Hopefully you get a couple of these pitchers back in Matson, Lugo. Who knows about Cespedes, but, you know, you hope the same thing that he's there And this quad thing is nothing more than just a minor disturbance. You know, Syndergaard, you're not going to expect him until after the All-Star break. Familiar, you might not see him at all, but as you said, you know, the Nationals might be close to running and hiding for good if they haven't done that already. And, you know, when you look at the other two, nobody else in the National League East scares you in terms of contention in any way, shape, or form. The Central, to me, is a little bit of a head-scratcher because uh, Chicago is a team that, to me, is kind of – living off the fat of last season a little bit and they're kind of still experiencing that World Series hangover and they thought that, well, we just got to show up every day and we're going to get right back to the World Series again because we got the most talent on paper. Well, that hasn't happened. You have guys in that lineup who haven't produced like they did a year ago. And remember, they got out of the gate so quick last year. I mean, they basically left no doubt that they were the team to beat almost from the get-go, like the 86 Mets. You know, that's how dominant the Cubs were from uh, from the beginning last year. Milwaukee's been a surprising team. I still don't trust that pitching enough right now to say they're going to be in it long-term. Cardinals, on the other hand, can pitch, and that's even the most surprising thing, that that rotation has been as good as it is, especially the fact that they don't have Alex Reyes, who was thought to be you know, one of the young jewels of that team and had to undergo the Tommy John there in spring training. National League West, I will say, I do think the Colorado Rockies are for real. I'm a big Bud Black fan, always have been, like him personally and i think he's you know a lot better manager than he was given credit for especially during those years with small market san diego because the thing about the rockies is this yes you know about coors field and the home field advantage they have there and the numbers and all that other stuff but it's a little bit different story this year if you look at the splits this team is just as good if not better On the road, they got the best road record in baseball. So they're just as good away from Colorado as they are even at home. So now if they can add that to the already impressive dominance that they have at home, uh, I mean, they really are a team that you have to watch out for. Arizona is dangerous, although, again, same thing. I don't know if they have it in them to stay in it all throughout the course of the season. And then you have the Dodgers, who the last couple of nights have silenced the Chicago Cubs with Alex Wood and Brandon McCarthy. And, oh, by the way, they got Clayton Kershaw staring them in the face later this afternoon. So that could be a weekend from hell for the defending world champs. I would look to the National League West as being the bugaboo if you're the Mets and trying to size up can they get back to the postseason as a wild. Card because that NL West I think is a little bit better than maybe people gave it at the beginning of the season.
0: I agree 100%. Uh, last thing, the American League Minnesota certainly a surprise. I don't see that continuing uh, with Cleveland and, and obviously Detroit in that division. Uh, I think that they would you know they're going to fade back. Although they've they've certainly got some interesting performances year to date. Uh, Other than that, the real surprise, other than Minnesota, is the Yankees. And and I always thought the Yankees would be a little bit better. They weren't a a 71-72 win team, Um, 85 wins, and I still kind of fall into that. I think the pitching will certainly – I mean, the offense, there's a few guys, Matt Holliday, Starling Castro, still playing, in my opinion, a little bit above their heads. Uh, I think Judge will come a little bit back down to earth. But even with them coming back down to earth, it'll still be a solid offense. And uh, maybe Boston, Baltimore, and certainly Toronto aren't as good as, as we thought out there. I
3: wouldn't close the door yet on that division. I mean, it's safe for Tampa Bay, okay? I don't think we have to worry about Tampa because I'll start from the bottom. I mean, when you look at, Toronto, and they've gotten off to a brutal start. I mean, Toronto now is, is is getting healthier, all right? They got their all-star left side of the infield back, finally, and Tulowitzki and Josh Donaldson. They've won five games in a row. Now, the issue that the Blue Jays have had in terms of health, where it's really hurt them, has been in the starting pitching department, because, you know, Aaron Sanchez, who's, you know, last year was one of the best pitchers in baseball, that guy can't stay on the mound this year. He's got a finger issue that he, he just can't seem to get right. You know, same thing with, with Jay Happ, who's been on the shelf now for a while and who was very productive a season ago. There's a chance they could get him back here, maybe even in the next week. So, little by little, the Blue Jays are getting healthier and that is a very dangerous team that you're going to have to watch out for in that division. Boston is another team getting healthier little by little. They wanted to you know, run John Farrell out of town, much like people are screaming here about Terry Collins. Up in Boston, it was worse about Farrell. You know, The first five, six weeks of the season, Boston, they wanted him out of town. Now they've won six in a row. David Price is making his season debut tomorrow. Now, we don't know what to expect from him, but Price is a guy that they're paying him a lot of money, and you know during the regular season he's quite capable. October's a different story, but Boston is a team, I think, that is finally going to get their act together and and be a formidable foe in that American League East. Baltimore, I I don't know what to tell you about the Orioles. I I just think the Orioles prove that Buck Showalter – really is one hell of a manager because on paper, I really don't think this team is that good to be quite honest with you. Offensively they're special, but their pitching is just not really that talented. And Chris Tillman, who was the ace of their staff, you know, he's been on and off the shelf so far this year. Zach Britton, who should have won the American League Cy Young last year, and was as close to an automatic as you could possibly have out of that bullpen, he's barely pitched for them this year. And he's on the shelf again. So the fact that Buck has this team playing winning baseball just is a testament to how good of a skipper he is there. And I don't know. They're in a slide right now. We'll see if they can snap out of it. But, you know, it all comes back to the Yankees. They're taking advantage of it. Uh, the, the starting pitching still scares me a little bit. I don't know if, they're gonna ha- if they will go out and get another arm this year. I think they, it would certainly help them. But uh, the Yankees have surprised. I did not think that we would be talking about a team here on Memorial Day that would have one of the best records in baseball.
0: Using the final analogy of radio and baseball, you went, you went three hours, you just did a three-hour show. We were on this podcast about 20 minutes. That's, you know, that's not going five innings. You, went, you pushed yourself to the sixth or the seventh inning. And here's the bigger question. Will you be coming out of yeah. the bullpen on Memorial Day and pushing yourself even further to limits and doing anything that you want the listeners to know about not only Memorial Day but the rest of the week and so on and so forth?
3: We we don't sleep. Sleep is for the week. Memorial Day. We're uh, how about this? Memorial Day. We're doing a day night doubleheader. A, a good old day night double dip. Separate separate admission doubleheader. We have uh, ESPN Radio uh, from 10 a to 1 p with uh, my buddy Willie Colon. We're gonna have some fun doing that. And then uh, Monday night we have our show on uh, MLB Network Radio. A little MLB round trip action to recap your day. Your Memorial Day in baseball, so uh, busy Monday. We never sleep. Can't sleep on the baseball. It's 162 games. It's a game every day, so plenty to talk about in that regard.
0: No burgers, no fries for you, no barbecuing, just straight radio. Uh, Well, that's – You've got to get a break sometimes. When when does the break happen?
3: You didn't ask me about today. That's going to be today. I'm going to go home and indulge a plenty. Let's put it that way. No, that's it's, that's going to be the, the – we'll right. have the, the barbecues and the food and all that stuff today. We will we will do it aplenty, to say the least.
0: All right. Well, you get going. You've been very generous of your time. Thank you, Dan. We'll do it again, and we'll be watching, all right? Take care, my friend.
3: Michael, appreciate it. Be good. Go Mets.
0: Take care. That's Dan Grassa of ESPN SNY. Uh, Mad Dog Radio, MLB Network Radio, you probably have heard him somewhere, and he does good work, and he's a good guy, and what he's doing in radio, the grind, uh, pretty much everywhere. I mean, again, I'm doing a little podcast once a week, and, and that's my decision, and I've made that decision. I really admire somebody who is doing what he's doing because that's the way you make it in this business with some hustle but with some you know, understanding your your topics. Uh, really putting time to understand your topics, have some good debate, intelligent debate, not just trying to go out there and uh, you know try to be a star by uh, you know hijinks and 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 you know having big names on, which are basically commercialized segments. Just really going out there and being a jack of all trades. Really, the, when you're a utility guy, I hate to get into a whole radio thing here, but when you're a utility guy in radio like Dan is, you you eventually find your niche and you eventually get a starting job. I'll tell you that, and, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more. Uh, from Dan Grasso as time goes on. All right, let's take a quick break. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast here on Memorial Day, leading up into the uh, Mets-Pirates uh, ESPN game uh, tonight. Of course, you could check out the show all the time at mettsamorizedonline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Leave me a review on iTunes. You can check it out on SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher. I'm pretty much everywhere, so if you can't find me, let me know, and I'll direct you and I'll get you there. We'll be back right after this.
2: Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Right now, that's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today.
0: I thought that was a good segment by Dan Gross, so um, check him out again at Dan Gross on Twitter, and uh, check him out on SNY if you're around and you listen to this before uh, tomorrow morning Memorial Day, check him out on uh, 98.7 ESPN Radio, which has actually got some good stuff. I find myself listening to that more than the fan. I've really just abandoned the fan altogether. Even Francesa, I'll listen to. What I'll do is I'll listen to the Francesa interviews with some of the players and coaches and the ones that interest me. I mean, he had Peter Gammons and Big Poppy. He had some good interviews, and Francesa still does a fairly decent job interviewing, although he talks over people too much listen a little bit to joe and evan interviews but i just i cannot listen anymore to the general woe is me caller based nonsense i just maybe i've grown out of it maybe because maybe because i feel like if i'm going to listen to something i have to learn or i have to feel the subject or the person presenting the subject knows as much or more than me and oftentimes listening to the fan i don't feel that way so that's my problem and maybe i'm wrong with that but that's my problem Anyway, programming notes. So the 8 o'clock game, Mets will be taking on the Pirates in just a little bit. So hopefully you guys are having a good Memorial Day. Watch the game. Enjoy yourself. Matt Harvey looks to uh, avenge what really was a horrible Mets loss last night. And uh, really, like I said, a week where the Mets could have made some hay and they have really squandered a, an opportunity to do so. And you're about three weeks away, at least, of this team hitting 500. And, and if they lose tonight... Uh, coming back 8-under, going into Memorial Day. I don't know, especially if there's a rainout tomorrow. I wonder if the Mets are about to think about making some sort of change. I don't know if they'll make a change in the coaches or the manager. It seems like that's not in the DNA of the owner, the DNA of the GM. It's not an organizational type of move that right now is realistic. Maybe they'll make some kind of move in terms of, of sparking the team. But even Rosario and Smith with the Rule 5 scenario, uh, not the Rule Five scenario, the uh, the Super Two uh, scenario. I think they would wait till they 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 made sure they brought them up where control or that that extra year of free agency before free agency was was there. So I, I do not think that that's on the horizon. Uh, as far as a programming note, it looks like the Mets are free and clear of any ESPN night games for quite a while. They do have a West Coast trip coming up in about a month, so that'll be a late start. So we'll be back to. Doing the podcast after, or basically publishing the podcast after the week of games, the slate of games has been done. If you look at Sunday, as the last day of the week instead of the first day of the week, which I guess it all depends on how you look at that. So anyway, um, had a lot of fun, and I know that it's a little odd still with the game to play this week doing the podcast, but I think we made a good good, uh, show out of it. Hey, I want to thank uh, Dan Grasa, SiriusXM. Check him out on Twitter, at Dan Grassa. Check him out also on SNY and ESPN 98.7. Of course, you can check me out all the time at metamorizonline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike social Media. Check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. Leave me a review on iTunes. It helps a great deal.
2: I'm your host, Mike Silva.
0: Enjoy your Memorial Day. Enjoy the men fire tonight. Or if you have a heck well,
2: a well.